0: Newsflash, democracy is good for your businesses. We are looking for sponsors to help the only outlet who is looking
1: at Chinese algorithmic progress in English. If you'd like to be able to put tighter error bars around where you think the future of Chinese uh, algorithms are going, please reach out, Jordan at Chinatalk.media. I'd love to connect.
2: This may be the only third-party red-teaming exercise <laughs> of Chinese models that exists out there. So uh, it's very much worth supporting, y'all.
1: Top five U.S.-China tech stories of 2023. I have the great Kevin Shu, longtime China Talk guest and creator of the Interconnected Substack, which you can find at interconnect.substack.com.
2: Thank you so much for having me back, Jordan. Oh, what a treat. As always, as always. I remember the last time I got on this show, uh, we were still talking about whether TikTok will be banned or released. All right. So let's start with my number
1: five then. Uh moos rise and TikTok continuing to chug along. So um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, the last show we did was in the wake of the... Uh, uh big congressional hearing where the tiktok ceo had this like really awkward performance which i think has only been exceeded now by the harp by the the harvard and Penn uh presidents uh, Good Lord. uh being dragged in front of congress but um uh, in spite of that you know both of us were really calling that moment as a sort of real turning point and like death knell for any you know chinese tech tech firm having ambitions in the u.s but somehow we've like entered the timeline whereas you know in december of 2023 we still have TikTok growing at like double digit percentage um a year timu of course pinduodos uh sort of like product that they brought to the u.s which is group buying you get like you know 10 bras for four dollars or totally insane things um uh has has uh grown so, so big that like Amazon is starting to get scared and think their take rate on cheap stuff on Amazon such that you know maybe we were actually wrong in calling it so early that um the sort of momentum that you initially saw both out of the executive and legislative branches would end up amounting to uh you know real um regulatory restrictions on what Chinese tech firms can do in the US
2: That's right. I mean, I think we probably gave our uh, congressional uh, legislators uh, too much credit uh, as in like translating uh, C-SPAN outrage into real action. Uh, I do think there are other interesting, probably like under the radar uh, currents when it comes to who is pulling the strings to keep TikTok around. There's obviously a lot of outrage continuously around why TikTok is bad for the United States for a bunch of reasons. But at the end of the day, if you look at their cap table, one of their largest and earliest Uh, investor is, uh, you know, one of the founders of Sesquahana, uh, Jeffrey Yass, who is a massive donor and a, you know, lifelong libertarian, for lack of a better label, uh, really pulling the strings on a bunch of different congressional, uh, you know, Uh, members Uh, this was reported in the Wall Street Journal I think a few months ago where at the end of the day there's enough vested uh, commercial interest in TikTok or ByteDance in general continuing to do what it does uh, that uh, it's just not going to be that easy and our political you know uh, attention span is basically uh, the same as a goldfish Uh, so we just kind (laughs) of moved on And in the same bucket, really, we had the Restrict Act. I don't know if you remember that one. That also gained a lot of attention and, frankly, a lot of political support from the White House. It was a bipartisan um, proposal. I think you had Senator Mark Warner on your show to talk about it. uh, And that also kind of fizzled out, uh, at least for now. And really something to watch out for for next year is if these high-attention, high-profile proposals or desires get re Uh, rekindle, let's just say, in election year and whether that actually becomes action or just another issue to campaign around. My number five, we're clearly uh, skirting the obvious uh, topic until later on in the show. But uh, my story number five is uh, Splinter VC is the actual physical breaking up of cross-border VC firms, uh, more specifically Sequoia and also GGV Capital. Uh, there's probably a few others that I thought would also have done the same because of their setup, but they haven't. You know, like Lightspeed and Redpoint and you know Kleiner. These are all firms that have uh, sort of like presence right in both countries. And uh, you know we were you were talking about stuff that didn't happen, right? TikTok is still around. One thing that did happen is the splitting up of these global VC firms because of their affiliation and their actual portfolio uh, in China that uh, are now considered basically on the naughty list, if you will, of the U.S. government. And this is a real tangible impact. I think we talk a lot about the risking, decoupling, all the different variations of the... Um, of the relationship, this is probably one of the examples where it physically feel like there is now a wall in something that is quite frankly, as fluid as capital as money, which usually in a you know free market society just flows to wherever the opportunity is. Uh, and right now, uh, obviously, that is not the case when it comes to cross-border venture investing. And it also sets up all these interesting kind of frenemy relationships now where you know the formerly uh, Sequoia China now renamed Hongshan, which is still the word for Sequoia in Chinese, is uh, <laughs> everywhere in the U.S., right? Looking for deals, talking to Um, founders mostly of Chinese descent as a way to um, still do their business, uh, especially since the Chinese uh, VC market in general is actually in a bit of a downward spiral or uh, really like not doing so well. Uh, So you have all these kind of interesting kind of, you know, cross-border a relationship but very much manifested in a different way so that's my number five as far as something that did happen but most people might have already forgotten at this point
1: so let's 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 pour one out for us dollar-based vc investing and in, um uh, in China Kevin you want to give like a little um uh, go, 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 a little go, go, retrospective go, 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 go. on the sort of like highs and lows and impact that we've seen over the past you know 20 years of this flows of these flows
2: well, I mean, I think uh, it's very clear that China's uh, just we'll just stick with the tech sector, right? And I would say, particularly the internet sector uh, and everything that came out of that has made a lot of money for a lot of uh, Chinese LPs as well as U.S. endowments and large pension funds, Canadian pension funds, probably even a few of the you know Middle Eastern sovereign wealth funds. So that is something that has been a obvious trend to bet on for the last uh, I would say 15 years or so. And it's very, very unclear where that is going in the next twenty years. Uh, so, uh, and that is a an uncertainty, right? That we are heading into. <clears throat> in the next few years or so, because I think there is a huge shift as far as what is uh, favorable now in the Chinese tech uh, market when it comes to uh, what will get more investment dollars. Clearly, we're focusing on the harder tech uh, side of things when it comes to manufacturing, obviously with semiconductors, but also everything that comes around when it comes to AI, but also uh, advanced, uh, manufacturing, uh, electric vehicles. So it's just a very different tone at this point. Uh, And uh, the way that uh, American VCs have always been doing business, which the uh, Chinese VCs have done a very good job of both adapting and I think evolving in its own market to its own success uh, is uh, clearly coming to, to an end.
1: So my number four is the Chinese EV explosion. China is just beating the entire world by leaps and bounds, sans Tesla, on uh, scaling production and deployment of um, electric vehicles. And, um, you know, without it, it, it's sort of it's it's sort of it's like a pairwise story because you also see everyone besides Tesla just like not getting it or not figuring it out. And you have this sort of innovator's dilemma with like the long tail of, um, you know, Japanese, South Korean, and American German producers who, I don't know, maybe have just like too much of, of, uh, you know, coding debt uh, or the equivalent for that with like, you know, tech debt, co- <laughs> tech, <laughs> car yeah, tech debt have have too yeah, have too much like internal combustion tech debt uh, <laughs> uh, that they, that they can't work themselves through. And, um, uh, you know, watching this, play out it'll you know the the sort of political responses you know it was just beginning with the with the ira and some of the policies you coming out of the eu but It'll start to crest, I think, in the next year or two when um, you know, imports really start to be, um, uh, particularly in Europe, start to be a real thing. And the decision point that Europe is going to have to make on whether or not they're comfortable having um, uh, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands, even millions of cars be uh, you know, Chinese electric vehicles sold in, into their countries is something that um, will be really interesting to watch play out over the, uh, over the coming year.
2: Yeah, that's one of my top fives as well, right? I think part of uh, the growth, the global kind of dominance in Chinese EV, uh, is one because uh, you know the domestic market has been very much. Uh, Uh, Supported right from the top to the bottom, but there is a bit of a demand uh, softening uh, inside the Chinese market. Right, if you uh, have the chance to go to China this year, you know, it's relatively easy now get a visa, just go, it's really not that hard. You see just a lot more green plates on the street almost wherever you go. Uh, and they are uh, a bunch of different domestic brands, not just Tesla, which is the only kind of foreign EV that still has a decent, you know, market share in China. But that demand is probably not going to be accelerating uh, as much as it used to. So obviously, a lot of these uh, U.S. Uh, sorry Chinese EV makers need to go abroad. Europe is a very willing market, I think, for the most part. But we'll see if they come up with different, re- uh, you know, regulations to push Chinese makers uh, out in the same way that I think the U.S. Has already uh, done so, right? Uh, uh, whether it's you know through like IRA credits or tariffs and whatnot, and the one thing that I think is also interesting in this bilateral kind of uh, U.S.-China competition when it comes to EV is there's quite a bit of action, I think, in my opinion, in the U.S. We're shooting ourselves in the foot, right? I think Ford has probably got some decent momentum when it comes to battery collaboration with Korean uh, battery makers. Certainly licensing CATL's uh, technology for its marquee Michigan battery plant has drew, has kind of like gathered some controversy, but that really, would have happened regardless uh, if not for I think the UAW a labor strike that just significantly increased the cost of making cars in general in the US. But mm. certainly, as all these, uh, as the Detroit big three are converting or trying to transition into EVs, it's becoming less and less uh, tenable. And you can make up all kinds of excuses as far as like, oh, Americans just don't like EVs. Americans like our gas guzzlers. We like our road trips, so on and so forth. But I think everything that Tesla has been doing is really uh, pushing. Pushing back on that narrative with real sales and real adoption, it's just that none of the kind of the traditional national champions in America are are really getting their shit together. They don't. They don't, they have a pretty bad hand that they've dealt as far as like labor agreements concerned. We'll see if UAW will be keeping on their organizing kind of victory streak to even extend into Tesla or Toyota battery plants and other EV plants. I think those are all on the table as part of the negotiation win from the union side, and that's just not. A setup that's making something that's already hard for U.S. automakers and now even harder, uh, and I think the end result will be none of us will be able to get our hands on an EV uh, F-150, uh, and uh, it, but we also can't get a Neo or a, or a home because they're just not allowed to come in here, you know. Yeah.
1: Um, A sort of parallel story to the Chinese EV explosion is like the dramatic successes you started to see out of Chinese commercial space, um, which was uh, and like, you know, they're basically only being (laughs) SpaceX on the other side, which, you know, has also, you know, figured out how to launch Starship, which is sort of incredible. But, um, you know, sans spacex uh the us would be in a really weird place when it comes to the future of launch but china has a seems to have a sort of you know less advanced but like more broad-based and healthier um ecosystem there are a number of companies that have figured out how to uh how to do their own reusable launch and i think there's um uh you know also international ambitions around that uh, around that too so uh, you know, it would have been great if, like, the, the, the one tycoon keeping uh, American uh, industrial emissions alive, like, didn't happen to be a horrific human being. But it is really remarkable that um, it's kind of like two firms against, like, two entire Chinese ecosystems um, at, at play right now. And, and I don't know what that says about um, Elon or about, like, you know, the stultification of American capitalism or what have you. Uh but it's um uh, it, it is very striking that um you have such sort of like vibrant um uh, and maybe like overexuberant uh, 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 uh competition uh, in China domestically, whereas in the U.S. Um, it is much more sort of stultified, it seems.
2: Yeah, I mean on the EV front specifically, right? I think there's probably like a volume surplus at this point on the Chinese side, yeah. uh, while well, there's clearly a volume deficit <laughs> uh, on the on the American side. And you know we have not even talked about the infrastructure side of building charging stations, all these sort of very basic elements of electrification uh that frankly would should be happening with or without which you know uh cars or evs are going to be on the street uh, in the u.s mm-hmm. and that is unfortunately just not happening
1: all right kevin let's get all our non-chips ai
2: ones out of the way what else you got Okay, so my number three is uh, Pinduoduo taking over Alibaba's market cap. Uh, This may feel more like a China ecosystem kind of specific story, right? Uh, For those of you who haven't been tracking the public market as closely, Uh, Pinduoduo being kind of the e-commerce, a new kid on the block, now juggernaut, has officially taken over Alibaba in terms of their stock prices, their uh, market capitalization. And that just happened within the last couple of weeks or so. And it's been a huge deal, um, certainly within Alibaba, who has been going through a really rough year of uh, massive corporate reorganization, breaking the company up into six different pieces, wanting to IPO or absorb uh, additional funding for any of those six pieces, and then canceling uh, one of the most prominent ones being Alibaba Cloud, while Pinduoduo is just heads down doing their thing, cranking out more referral codes and selling more um, you know, cheap stuff on their very attractive, sticky app. Uh, not to mention the growth of team, And I think this is worth noting because we've done, uh, well, everyone who is vaguely interested in China has been guessing so much about how the Chinese economy is doing, how is it not doing, is it opening up, why is it not opening up more, so on and so forth. I think the rise of Pin Pinduoduo, which very much has just um, hone the buyer persona of, you know, getting deals, social buying, you know, really kind of, I think, reflects the mood of uh, consumerism in China, which is that luxury buying is cool, but right now we're just in a bit of a tough environment after three years of COVID lockdown, uh, where we're going to buy affordable things, and we still enjoy shopping, we enjoy the entertainment of shopping, but it's Pinduoduo that's really kind of engineered and designed for that uh consumer persona that's becoming more pervasive and as long as you design for that you can still do really really well as a company and as a platform uh so in a way it's a bit of a nuanced take on where the consumer is in china and where the spending is going to manifest all right so um we're, we're down to our top two uh i
1: have chip war number one and algorithmic in sort of like AI uh, model competition number two. So everyone's heard all my takes on this. Uh, Kevin, um, uh, uh, what's your diagnosis of the sort of AI competition?
2: So I'll start with the AI stuff first, right? I think there are a few things that are worth uh, remembering. One is that China has been very efficient, I say, in both um, proposing and actually rolling out the generative AI related uh, regulations into the wild, right? This basically happened in the course of a few months. Uh, April, there was an initial proposal. July, it became an initial set of actual policies, uh, having uh, industry uh, intake. And then I think October uh, there was an additional set of red-teaming restrictions that are being proposed as well uh, in in terms of uh, keeping AI safe, uh, quote-unquote, as far as like releasing real products from every company in China is concerned. So that is the one that, uh, quite frankly, if you compare that to uh, all the other major jurisdictions, the US, EU, and other countries, no, no one country has been as quick. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's it's quick. It's efficient. Like it's out there, right? It's being uh, uh, implemented. And the other uh, element of that, this is a little bit related to the VC stuff, is there is a hundred model war, right, going on in the Chinese tech ecosystem uh, initially this year uh, after ChatGPT kind of took over the share of everybody in the tech space. And now it's like whittling down to a few different models and startups uh, that are actually going to survive. But there was a lot of kind of like so-called like juan behavior uh, for the first half of this year where every tech company under the sun in China is trying to make their own models. So that is something that is evolving. And the last thing that I will just highlight is the blocking of uh, Hugging Face, which, uh, you know, China Talk has some good writing on that I suggest people go read. And Hugging Face, for those of you who are not familiar, is a open source, it's a developer platform where people kind of like share, collaborate on, uh, train, test, Uh, AI models, very similar to uh, GitHub, which is where uh, most of the open source code uh, is being collaborated on. And the GitHub is technically not blocked in China, but Hugging Face t- at this moment is uh, blocked in China, and that has created, you know, I wouldn't say an uproar, but certainly a lot of uh, angst and anxiety in China uh, among the developer community, who is actually trying to catch up to U.S. models and U.S. AI uh, pace of development, uh, but not having access to this dominant open platform has created a lot of uh, just you know productivity losses and uncertain future which I think does not bode well uh, for China's own kind of generative AI uh, progress with or without uh, any additional more stringent uh, sanctions on the semiconductor GPU front.
1: So I think there's one way to sort of look at all of the uh, AI algorithmic restrictions that the Chinese government is putting on and blocking of hugging face and, you know, adding that up to like China... You know, making it a lot harder on its developers to sort of, you know, ganchao, to, to, to catch up and surpass uh, the, 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 the Western models, it, it, which I'm sure is probably true. I, these, these have to be drags. But I do think it has been really remarkable to me personally just how good... These Chinese models have gotten, um, you know, China Talk on the newsletter, China Talk Media, which you guys should all subscribe to. Uh, we just spent a lot of uh, time internally with the with myself and and other editors on the on the team playing around with some of the top Chinese models, uh, with Kimmy, Ernie, Chat ChatGLM two, and you know, they're not GPT four level, but they're like months behind not years behind and you know i I sort of feel them as like slightly you know more or less indistinguishable from bard maybe a little worse than claude definitely probably worse than claude 2.1 but but i think there was a sort of expectation in the development ai safety um you know policy community broadly that like china would actually have a difficult term at least in the a difficult time at least in the near term being able to sort of catch up and you know maybe the, these firms would have to reduce you know resort to like stealing open ai's weights or something in order to create comparable products but like to my mind, at least, you know, to my eyes, at least like that does not seem to be the case. And the, you know, to today's the, the sort of talent within the PRC and the amount of compute that these engineers are able to get at and the data sources that they've been able to collect and train on like are roughly enough to continue to be fast followers to the best that the West can offer, at least into the foreseeable future.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing where I. And I read that piece, and it's really a fantastic piece, by the way. I really enjoyed it. Uh, One thing that I may differ with your impression when it comes to uh, China's uh, AI progress, as you say, from a model perspective, uh, is that I don't think the sanctions... That are really going to hurt have actually manifested itself yet. Because another story, right, this year is that because of the October 2022 mm-hmm. sanction, not talking about this year's, uh, all the Chinese big vendors have been very aggressive and on the ball for the most part in stockpiling as much to uh, be sanctioned uh, chips from NVIDIA, whether it's the A100s or the modified H800s. And a lot of the U.S. models that we've seen in the wild are still being trained on the A100s, I believe, for the most part, Mm -hmm. or like derivatives of that. So the difference in terms of benchmarking when it comes to the hardware that is still accessible, uh, I think that explains why I think a lot of the models that you tested out uh, on the Chinese side are still comparable, right, to maybe like the third or the fourth uh, best models in the U.S. I think that... Difference, Assuming the sanctions of this year are being uh, strictly enforced will show up as far as the pace of development starting um, next year. Right? That's when all the H100s uh, right now being sold, being made, and actually being racked are going to really come online for the next generation of Gemini or GPT-567 or Claude, whatever that may be. So next year, is, it will be interesting to see uh, how well will Kimi or Ernie or you know uh, Yi or all these other uh, Chinese models will be able to keep up when they will have to start swapping out. Um, domestic alternatives from Huawei, for example, uh, because they cannot even get their hands on um, maybe the H20s, which is the latest, uh, you know, modified Nvidia uh, product. So that is the TBD for me. I think all, a lot of these benchmarks can be gamed at the end of the day. That's just what you know people do when it comes to marketing in infrastructure technology. Right? There's a term called benchmarking that everybody does. Uh, <laughs> that is just very pervasive. And I will just say the other thing, too, that makes me a little bit still pessimistic about the Chinese AI scene is that because of the regulations that we're talking about, uh, which I believe places quite a bit of compliance hurdle on the release of any new model, let alone the applications that you can build on top of model. I think there's a bunch of uh, registration and compliance uh, steps uh, that you have to go on uh, or to have to jump through uh, before you can even release a product that there will be very um, there'll be a lot less product feedback from the wild, and I think that really kind of strangles progress uh, more so than we give it credit for. Like the way ChatGPT was released a year ago, which literally is just like a blog post here, check it out on Twitter, would be unthinkable in the Chinese regulatory ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? And that just like puts you back in so many different ways from an iterative um, improvement perspective. You very well may be right, particularly on the sort of like, you know, 2025,
1: 2026 uh, horizon. Yeah, I
2: just think there's a lagging, there's a lagging, there's a lagging indicator or lagging effect, not to, you know, use Fed speak. Uh, There's a (laughs) lagging effect of the chip sanctions that we still haven't actually felt yet. Even though folks like you and me keep on top of the latest policy developments, these things kind of uh, don't manifest itself in the actual production and the selling cycle until a couple of years from now right
1: but but then the real question is whether they'll matter because huawei will just be able to make their own chips um and not necessarily rely on on nvidia for um for the hardware but before we get to our number one uh topic or i guess kevin's number two i do want to come back to this um uh this human preference evaluation that we did in uh in china talk um this took a ton of work and um, there is so much more to be done. Uh, you know, we, we, we ended up having to you know, narrow our scope really dramatically, only picking a few models, only, you know, doing, like, 100 prompts per, um, per model and focusing on, like you know, more basic things that we could evaluate relatively quickly, which is basically like office worker type stuff, um, you know, not delving into uh, the potentially more impactful things like code performance and and what have you. So we are looking for sponsors um, to help the only outlet who is looking at The uh, Chinese algorithmic progress in English. Um, So if you are out there and think that this research is important, if you'd like to be able to put tighter error bars around where you think the future of Chinese uh, algorithms are going, please reach out. Jordan at ChinaTalk.media. I'd love to connect um, and uh, explore how we could potentially work together.
2: All right. Yes. Definitely uh, do that. I want to echo that before we move on because this may be the only third-party red-teaming exercise <laughs> of Chinese models that exists out there. So it's very much worth supporting, y'all. Thank you, Kevin. All
1: right. Uh, number one story, Huawei Breakthrough Plus uh,
2: October 7th Revised. Uh, Kevin, take it away. Uh, what I think is interesting because it's a top story is that it grabs so much attention Yet, I think for everyone uh, who is kind of in the industry, I don't even count myself as one of those, to be honest. Uh, But the Huawei breakthrough, this is a seven nanometer uh, chip that is uh, completely homemade in China between Huawei and SMIC, the uh, domestic uh, chip foundry that went into Huawei's latest smartphone, the Mate 60 Pro, has been anticipated and not so much a surprise, quite frankly, uh, for anyone who just understands how this stuff works from a process improvement perspective. I think Jensen Huang, who went on the DealBook New York Times uh, uh, forum uh, a few days ago when he was asked this question basically shrugged it off and be like yeah i mean no one in the industry is surprised like this will happen like it's, it's you know it's a known process to be able to squeeze what you can out of your existing duv equipment if you try hard enough with a big enough order and a big enough customer which is huawei to push you to do so and this basically happened and no one should be surprised this is uh, happened uh, I don't know how much it will happen but you know seven nanometer in his words it's just a number It's just like this thing that we have as far as like a benchmark is concerned in the chip founding, the chip fabrication industry. And we probably place way too much attention to the nanometer count um, and not enough attention, quite frankly, to the innovation uh, that needs to go into uh, keeping uh, this momentum going on the Huawei side and what the U.S. should do or can do to delay that sort of inevitable progress as opposed to maybe spending more of our attention and money in the U.S. to keep on advancing our own capabilities. So that's sort of like my, my take on this particular uh, news item. Now, I think there's some interesting sort of like high-level geopolitical, uh, almost like personal side to it. Uh, I think, you know, Huawei's timing of releasing the phone. Uh, to coincide with uh, our Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo's visit to China uh, has certainly got under her skin. All right, and... let's, stop, let's
1: stop there. Um, I'm <laughs> okay. going to insert a two-minute sort of clip video that I made of uh, Secretary Raimondo's speech at the Reagan National Defense Forum from uh, a few days ago, early in December.
0: Huawei's new smartphone that was released a couple of months ago. to When about I was there. in China. Yes. Oh. Look at that. Thank you very much. We have to get smarter about what are the technologies, which are just where we are ahead of China. They're capable of doing very bad things. And we're going to deny the entire country this class of equipment. We can't let China get these chips. Period. Period. Listen, America leads the world in artificial intelligence. Period. Full stop. We're a couple of years ahead of China. No way are we going to let them catch up. We cannot let them catch up. So we're going to deny them our most cutting-edge technology. Is industry on board? I mean, yes, but they're in the business of making money. Every time I take an action, it denies them revenue. My own view is that industry, newsflash, democracy is good for your businesses. Rule of law here and around the world is good for your businesses. So. It might make for a tough quarterly shareholder call, but in the long run, it's worth you working with us to defend our country's national security. We're talking a lot about chips. Are there other US origin products or types of technologies that you are looking at in a similar fashion right now? Absolutely, Um, in biotechnology, um, uh, AI. AI models, AI products, cloud computing, computing. supercomputing? So short answer is yes. I would say communication is a good thing, but don't confuse communication with weakness or softness. On matters of national security, we gotta be eyes wide open about the threat. This is the biggest threat we've ever had. It's a, and we need to meet the moment. The world needs us to manage our relationship with China responsibly to avoid escalation. We've got to do all that. But make no mistake about it China's not our friend, and we need to be eyes wide open about the extent of that threat. Uh, I am ready to win, and I'm ready to do that with all of you. But it's time to open our aperture and challenge the way we've done business in every way if we're going to meet the threat China poses. And if we're going to do what needs to be done with this technology.
2: So coming back to this uh, clip, and I feel like she is clearly... Um, very triggered in a lot of ways. Uh, I think uh, that uh, performance on stage at the Reagan National Defense Forum was very, uh, there was a lot of anger towards NVIDIA in particular. There was clearly a lot of anger towards Huawei. The anger towards NVIDIA, I think, is probably the one I find most troubling in the sense that she basically uh, told NVIDIA that all the kind of workarounds that NVIDIA has been doing to be compliant but still be able to do business in China is quote unquote not productive uh, when that is just what companies do. And she, you know, on the one hand, celebrated the innovation of U.S. Uh, technology being a mostly a private sector um, accomplishment. And on the other hand, kind of uh, almost critiquing them uh, for just doing what they're doing, I think is very troubling. We'll see uh, what she will actually do in terms of her actual action. Uh, there's this hilarious observation now, uh, the so-called Raimondo law, which is the observation that the restrictions placed on the AI chips will expand. At regular intervals, which is sort of a derivative joke on the Moore's law. I think that's actually becoming a real uh, possibility uh, as long as, uh, uh, you know, Secretary Raimondo remains Secretary Raimondo. Uh, so that is something that I think uh, to me as a free market, you know, capitalist it's quite actually quite troubling.
1: Yeah, the sort of weirdest thing about that, and I think it You know, maybe there's some also frustration directed at her boss, um, which is that uh, she was like, "Look, if companies are just gonna, you know, dip right under the letter of the of the law when it comes to the regulation, like we'll ban it the next day." And as we talked about on China Talk, they could have done that. The, H1, the H-800 was around for a really long time. It's not that hard to send a letter saying, we're gonna ban this, and then ban it before an entire year of your, like, really extended OODA loop um, ends up sort of being able to work itself through its system. And I think You know, it's unclear what was driving that was that Biden, uh, you know, telling every cabinet secretary to sort of chill out to make sure that APEC was able to happen. And I guess like World War Three doesn't start compared, you know, if that's your sort of like theory of the case. Um, So, you know, I I wonder exactly sort of, you know. To, to what extent the sort of like operating space that she and and, and, the, and BIS have been under from both a corporate pressure perspective, a, a, as well as a, you know, let's get the U.S.-China relationship right perspective has been constraining her ability to really execute and quote unquote win, um, uh, you know, as she very dramatically um, uh, uh, focused on uh was was driving some of the sort of emotive power of um of her of her remarks and you know to what extent this is portentous of future controls you know we heard her reference doing stuff about ai models about cloud compute um about biotechnology you know all of that stuff uh, has not really been addressed yet fr- from bis so um, it was really striking, and I, I would be shocked if uh, sort of chip war didn't also end up making uh, a number, you know, at least a top two appearance on um, uh, on on our recap, December twenty twenty four.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's right. And if I could add one more dimension to this, this might be a bit esoteric, but I think your China focused audience will really appreciate this. Uh, one of the biggest fear from the Chinese tech uh, AI community is this uh 孫子兵法, this like art of war uh, strategy called Wei San Chui which is that um, the the traditional military tactic is that when you siege a city or a castle you don't want to siege the entire place off for that measure you always leave an opening And that's actually the best way to defeat your enemy because you give your enemy a wavering choice that maybe they can escape, maybe they cannot escape, but they're not going to fight back. They might surrender. If you uh, kind of uh, just surround the entire city, they will fight back more ferociously than ever because they have no other choice and that actually makes uh the the war much more costly and you might actually end up losing even though you were in a better spot and i think if the u.s sanctions become increasingly harder if uh, Secretary Raimondo really does you know, uh, cut off the next derivative product from NVIDIA the very next day, as she likes to say it, she's basically committing a huge strategic error by sealing off the entire city uh, or country of China from being able to access alternatives and leaving a strategic opening so that they do not kind of put all of their chips on Huawei's ecosystem, which there are already signs that they're doing that. We already know that, you know, Baidu and other large uh, cloud vendors are now switching their focus to acquiring Huawei's Ascend uh, GPU series uh, and kind of just gave up on any future possibility of getting NVIDIA's even like derivative products. And that I think is a huge strategic mistake that I do not think anyone in the U.S. government either appreciates or really understands. So maybe brushing up on um, you know, art of war wouldn't be such a bad idea uh, when we think about what the next step of the Rimondo law may become. All right, I'm going to hit you
1: with another uh, Cheng Yu, uh, which is a sort of inverse, uh, Po Um It means like break the pots and sink the boats. I think this is like a Sangwa one where, uh, you know, basically like the, the army was right at the riverbed and the general like burned his ship so that the arm, the, the, um, uh, the, there's the no arm, escape route. There's, yeah, no, there's going no escape back. route. You had to fight, you had to fight as hard as possible. And I feel like, you know, I don't actually think this is what the Chinese government is doing, but when you look at stuff like banning hugging face, limiting, uh, the access of, uh, sort of Western models, uh, you know, I think they banned chat GPT really early on. Like there, there is a, um, uh, there, there's also an aspect of the Chinese government trying to sort of like force. It's, um, it's, uh, uh ecosystem, it, you know, it's like broad technological ecosystem to not be able to do the playbook that you had in the nineties and two thousands and 2010s, where you could just rely on Western stuff for like a big part of your, um, a big part of your tech stack. And I think like the sort of the, the, the almost more natural way, like for Chinese developers to go out is, is to build applications on top of all of these, um, foundational models, particularly if open AI is like still just going to be the best, um, for the, for the next few years um going forward having to do both steps of the sort of foundational model generation as well as the application layer stuff is just like harder but uh by um you know, making the firms not have another opportunity if they want to be able to reap the gains that ai potentially is 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 um putting on the table, then you are doing a little bit of chujo um to your um uh, to yourself as your as you know Beijing is thinking about uh tech competition over the next decade
2: yeah I mean a couple of things to that maybe I think uh whether it 's uh we accentuate yourpul Chen Zhou, uh, I do think if China were to be in that state, if not already, it has to do probably more with U.S. sanctions and, uh, you know, the the increasingly larger yard and higher fence, uh, despite the original uh, characterization uh, of the policy that is happening. And one just nuance, at least this is my personal take on the blocking of hugging face. First of all, I think OpenAI, Chat GPT uh, decided to not do business in China or make it available in China initially it was, when it was Yeah, least, it was
1: really funny. It was like, this, like, yeah. it was like within a week, like the Chinese government said, we're banning this. But I think OpenAI said, I think OpenAI that's broke right. up with China before China broke up with OpenAI.
2: That's exactly right. OpenAI decided to <laughs> preemptively broke up with China before China could even say uh, credibly <laughs> that I'm breaking up with you, right? So that's one <laughs> sort of like factual Thing to insert in there. And uh, coming back to Hugging Face, which it still perplexes me to a certain extent, honestly, we'll see how this one goes. Uh, My personal theory is that Hugging Face doesn't just host models, it also hosts a bunch of data sets and benchmarks as a necessary component, right, to train um, any sort of machine learning algorithm, not just, you know, large generative uh, AI, uh, you know, large language models. And if you go through some of those just data sets, I think they're just data or facts or information in there. That are, let's just say, inconvenient uh, to be accessible uh, in the Chinese regulatory or legal ecosystem. And I think that is probably the reason, not so much the models themselves, that trigger the block, at least right now, which you can distinguish from GitHub not blocking and not being blocked, because GitHub just holds code, right? These are just tools and logics. There's no quote unquote information in there uh, that would become problematic in, again, the, the very unique Chinese political and social. Uh, regulatory ecosystem. So that's my sort of very uh, uh, <laughs> tiny, needle-threaded take on why uh, Hugging Face is blocked and not a GitHub. So
1: I got like a like a very low probability 2024 call for you. So um, if we end up in a world where OpenAI stays number one. Google's a clear number two, and then you just have this like long morass of, you know, your Kimmies and your, uh, and your Anthropics and your Amazons of the world, like Sundar. Let's not forget Mr. Dragonfly. Um, uh, the guy was really into, um, uh, uh, potentially getting back into the game in the PRC. And, um, uh, you know, like, we'll see what Secretary Raimundo has to say about this if she does end up sort of blocking exports of, um, uh, of, of, of models, but there's nothing on the books now to say stop Chinese uh uh, to stop Western firms from exporting uh you know API access or what have you to to um to Chinese companies so um uh if Google gets desperate enough to uh you know if if it is a real winner-take-all um market um but Google's a clear number two maybe they'll end up you know making a a a sort of like a CAC compatible algorithm uh Hmm. that they can you know use to try to take over the Chinese market um I put that one on like two to three percent but you know it's, uh, we'll, we'll hey, see that,
2: that that's where the alpha comes from is to be right on the two to three percent right <laughs> all right so i actually have a couple of things if we want to move into 2024 real quick that i think yeah. will be interesting to to uh look at uh one is uh huawei's investing uh in open source Uh, AI development ecosystem, actually. So one news item that uh, I wish more people talked about is Huawei becoming the first premier member, uh, from China at least, in the PyTorch Foundation. Uh, PyTorch is kind of the open source uh, developer architecture ecosystem to NVIDIA's CUDA, and, uh, basically. Uh, it initially came out of Meta, now it's an open source foundation, and Huawei became the first a premium member from China to really invest in this ecosystem. And specifically in the blog post, it said Huawei wants to you know, uh, work with the PyTorch ecosystem to make Ascend its GPU series uh, more accessible, to grow its developers. Per uh, attraction developer mindshare, and that I think is a very underrated strategy uh, beyond the hardware that itself that Huawei is investing in uh, to grow its uh, you know uh, accessibility, right? Like grow its um, developer ecosystem, which I think is uh, important to look at. And the other one that I'll just throw out in there, uh, since I'm now more in the capital markets now, I'm doing investing full time, is uh, Xi'an's IPO. Possibly, right. Coming back to how none of these things that we wanted to ban are being banned. Shein is uh, working on a U.S. IPO, and also uh, Geeker, which is the which is a oh, sorry Zeeker. Zeker, which is the uh, Chinese EV maker, a subsidiary of Geely, is also actually working on a U.S. IPO possibly as early as February of 2024. So, And the the larger context being the U.S. IPO market has actually been really shitty uh, this entire year uh, and could uh, see a revival uh, next year. That's what a lot of investors are hoping for, to unlock more liquidity into the public market. Maybe it'll have to be some of these Chinese companies actually kick it off as opposed to uh, some American companies because Wall Street is kind of desperate for you know IPO deals uh, and IPO business so uh, we'll see what happens with these two
1: so I think the you know the one story for me for 2024 is the obvious one which is going to be the election um You know, we don't know who the the GOP nominee is. Let's say 80% it's going to be Trump. Um, uh, Even if it's not a a sort of Haley or a DeSantis administration, I think is going to, you know... High probability they'll take a much harder stand on 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 China than you've seen in the past. Trump is going to be a real wild card. You know, I, I think we have yeah. a pretty good sense of what he would do to immigrants, what he would do to the media, uh, what he would do to the deep state. But we saw a lot of different variants of Trump policy towards China over the course of administration to a sort of very like, you know, mainstream Republican circa 2000s. Uh, Seven, like, corporate interests come first, all the way to, like, you know, Super Hawk, um, uh, sort of far, particularly in a rhetorical perspective beyond anything that the U.S. has uh, ever seen post um, uh, Tiananmen. So, um, you know, what that is going to do in the lead up to the campaign is like probably not a lot because i think it's clear that the china isn't like interested in and in, in escalation at least for the time being but um you know if trump wins we're going to be in a brave U world on many many different fronts uh us china relations uh and tech relations in particular um most definitely included so I am not looking forward to doing podcasts <laughs> about what a 2020 a 5 Trump administration would do for the world but I guess, you know, this is kind of a public service here. I'm I'm now the last China podcast
2: left standing which is sort of uh uh I don't know, scary,
1: I guess. Um
2: but great uh... power, great responsibility, Jordan. That's what I would say. Great <laughs> power, great responsibility. And I hope you do have a US election episode come October 2024 after both conventions, after the two nominees, whoever they may be, deliver their acceptance speech, because I'm pretty sure there will be a few China paragraphs in those acceptance speeches to parse out. All right, I'm gonna try to do fewer emergency pods next year, I
1: feel like it it got my (laughs) eye off the prides, but I'll make an exception for the US presidential election. Kevin Chu, thank you so much for being part of China.
2: Thank you so much for having me back.
3: Swimming in the smoke is a debt that I gotta pay It's not a war if you never agree to play Bring another round, gotta wash these tears away And I know I run away And I drink to hide the pain And we know we gotta wait We are fit for better days Wanna move my wrist, wrist, do a body roll, cause we don't give a shit Wanna move my wrist, wrist, do a body roll, cause we don't give a shit been hanging on a high hope And people get away. And rent's a bitch to pay. I lay in bed awake. And I know I see better days. But I don't wanna talk, no, I don't wanna talk no more. Cause it's getting me down, yeah, it's getting me down, yeah, it's getting me down. Yeah, I just wanna move my wrist, wrist, Do a body right ho. I want to
2: move my wrist, wrist, do a body roll, cause
3: we don't give a shit. Cause we're feeling this real cool, cause we're feeling this. Half a world away, feels a little further.